Shall we pray? Dear God, we gather together now to hear your word. We ask that you bless your servant, Becky, as she brings your words to us. May we not just hear her, but hear you speaking through her. May we then be able to go from this place, knowing that you have spoken to us and that our lives should be impacted accordingly. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, this morning, turn to that. Um, we need to have a little bit of an understanding of what came just before, because the very first word that we're reading this morning is therefore. And so we need to know what that therefore is there for. Um, so the, the last half of chapter 7, Paul is talking about the struggle that he has and that we all have to follow God, to do what God calls us to do, versus what he calls the law of sin that seems to wage war against what he desires to do. And at one point he he laments, what a wretched man I am, who will save me? And then the very next breath, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. So it's with these words in the back of our mind that we read these words in chapter 8. And so you may follow along, I think, on the screen or on a Bible that you have with you. Starting with verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
because of his spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was growing up and attending elementary school, I remember that we would often make gifts for our mostly our moms on Christmas and Mother's Day. And as I look back, there are two particular gifts that I made that stand out in my mind. I remember one year for Mother's Day, we made necklaces for our moms. And this involved taking a hunk of clay and flattening it out and punching a circle out, probably about this big. And not only was it quite a big medallion, mine was kind of thick, maybe like a half an inch. So I can just imagine what that might have felt like around my mom's neck. Anyways, I I got this circle punched out and carefully put the pattern in with the tip of a pencil and caps of markers and painted, painted it with now through my older eyes I can remember was quite an interesting combination of colors. And then once it was fired in the kiln, I threaded a plastic cord through it and called that good. And then there was another time on Christmas, for at Christmas time that we made ornaments, again, involving clay. And I had visions of creating this beautiful golden star, kind of like the Star of Bethlehem. All I can really say is when I was done, it was yellow, um, little lopsided, kind of hung on the tree, crooked, and, and wouldn't stay straight. But the reason that these two gifts stand out in my mind is because of the way my mom received them. She received them with love. She saw them as the offering of a child who did her best. And she displayed them proudly. She even wore that necklace, which I don't know if I would do that as a parent, but she wore that necklace at least a couple of times. And I think it's because of that that they stand out to me. She looked at me with love accepted my gifts with all their flaws, but her love just covered over those flaws. And because of her love, my gifts were just right, despite the imperfections. These verses that we just read, that you heard, they talk about this tension between being just right and being full of imperfections. There's this assurance of being just right. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then there's talk about this struggle of living according to the flesh and what that looks like. The law of sin and death versus the law of the spirit. But what exactly does Paul mean by all these terms? It can be a little confusing. And so if we start by looking at verse 2, where Paul is talking about the law of the spirit versus the law of sin and death, we can kind of pull that apart a little bit and see how is he using this word law? Because it, it sounds confusing. Like, how can the law of the spirit free us from another law. One law freeing from another law sounds a little confusing. I was reading about about this very issue and 
Bible scholar John Stott, he argues that Paul is talking about two different things here. He argues that the law of the Spirit refers to the gospel, while the law of sin and death is referring to that Old Testament covenant law. And he says that it's because the gospel is certainly that which has freed us from the law and its curse. And the message of life in the Spirit frees us from the slavery of sin and death. Again, that idea of being freed from the law of sin and death sounds a little bit confusing. It sounds like that Mosaic law is bad as far as what Paul is saying, but that's really not not what he's talking about. He's not saying that the Old Testament law was a bad thing and we're just going to throw it away. Because earlier in this letter to the Romans, he talked about the law, how it reveals God's nature, God's will for us. But that as we tried to keep it, it revealed also our sin, that we need God, that we can't do it on our own. And so that is how the law is weak. Paul is saying that we have good news in Jesus Christ. The Spirit gives us life, and that life is a free gift. It's not dependent on what we do as far as trying to keep the law. And again, that that law does not have the power to save anyone. It didn't have the power to save anyone when it was first given, and it doesn't have the power to save anyone today. So what that means is your efforts to live the perfect life will not save you. Again, not because the law itself was bad, but because in our humanness we're weak. That sinful, selfish, fallen human nature That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the flesh. That is what weakens the law. So because of that, Paul tells us that God sent his son to take on our flesh, to become like us. And while he was in the flesh, he did it perfectly. But despite that, God placed all of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness and our fallenness on Christ. And on that moment on the cross, condemned all of that. He didn't condemn you. He condemned your sin. And that gives us freedom. And because of that, because Jesus took that all on, We are righteous in God's eyes. He gives us Christ's righteousness if we live according to the Spirit, Paul says. So it's not met or fulfilled in our own efforts, and it's not met if we continue to live according to that fallen, broken, selfish nature. The rest of the passage that we read, it it lays out the contrast between walking over here with the Spirit and walking over here according to the flesh. Paul says that those who are walking over here according to that sinful nature, 
we desire, and when we're doing that, we desire what that nature desires. But he doesn't really explain it here. If we look in another spot where Paul has written to the Galatians in chapter 5, he has a quite long list of what those flesh desires are. He lists sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's a long list, but as we know from looking at ourselves and looking at the world, it's by far not a complete list. These sins, they cover the range of of our struggles, from sexual sins to sins involving our relationship with God, sins that affect our relationships with each other, and sins of overindulgence that affect our human physical bodies. And if we walk over here, that's the places that it'll lead. It'll lead to brokenness in all of the areas of our lives. It's pretty heavy stuff. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I see some of these sins crop up in my lives just despite my best efforts to keep walking over here. The side keeps on pulling. Sometimes we fail to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind. And so when we do that, we fail to look only to God to fulfill us. Maybe we look to people or to things or to a political party or whatever, something other than God. Sometimes we try to manipulate God. We think that, that he should give us what we want or maybe we're going to hedge our bets by, by looking to other powers in this world to get us what we want. Sometimes our relationships become strained. Maybe we have a tendency to explode with anger when somebody disappoints us or doesn't behave the way we want them to. We're jealous of what our neighbor has. Why, why can't we have that kind of luck? We look on suspicion with people who think differently and live differently. We have a tendency to put up walls, literal walls and figurative walls, to keep those people out. Some have a tendency to grumble and to complain to those around them about the people that are getting on their nerves. And that causes division. People think they have to take sides sides in that. There's no doubt that we struggle to put others before ourselves, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then, obviously, some of us fail to treat our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We want to enjoy life. And so some struggle with alcohol or food or other 
bad habits that affect our health, that make us sick. Paul says that when we walk over here in this area of the flesh, pleasing that sinful, fallen, selfish nature, we can't please God. And this leads to death, separation. But Paul says there is another way, and in contrast, walking according to the Spirit. It causes us to desire what the Spirit desires. And again, he doesn't really spell that out, but Galatians 5 helps us out with that as well. And Paul, in those verses, he lists what we know as the fruits of the Spirit. If we walk over here according to the Spirit, we come to desire love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what results from walking according to the Spirit. And it sounds wonderful, but if we're honest, it's a struggle to constantly have these fruits evident in our lives day in and day out. Those other desires, they keep cropping up. It's just like Paul said in Romans 7. We want to do the right things, but it's like there's another law at work pulling us over to this side of walking in the flesh. As we struggle, sometimes we wonder, is, is change really even possible? Or are we just going to keep being pulled from one side to the other? And it can make us feel pretty unworthy sometimes. But I want to remind you, don't forget the first words that you heard from Paul this morning. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through Christ, the Spirit has set you free. It's already done. Despite our struggles, you are free from condemnation. And that's because God did send his Son to bear all of that yucky stuff. And when he did that sin, your sin was condemned. Not you, but your sin. And that act brings freedom. Paul picks up this theme of freedom again in verse 9. And at verse 9, he kind of changes the way he talks. In the, in the previous part, he was talking in generalities, like those people who live by the Spirit do this, and those people who live by the flesh do that. But here, he addresses the, the Roman Christians directly, and he addresses you directly. He says, you are not in the realm of the flesh. You're in the realm of the spirit if the spirit lives in you. You've already crossed over from the realm of the flesh to the realm of the spirit. It's been accomplished. It was accomplished when Christ died and when he rose again. And when you accepted that free gift, the Spirit came and lived in you. The Spirit is in you. 
And because of that, we can confidently proclaim with Paul as he did at the end of chapter 7, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. So what about that sin that keeps popping up in our lives? The good news is that because you have the Spirit living in you, you have the power of the Spirit in you, strengthening you, giving you the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't mean that you can just live however you want, but it means that the Spirit is transforming you, changing your mind, shaping you to desire what the Spirit desires, to become more and more like Jesus. Sometimes when we hear this so much, it's, it's easy to just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I have the power of the Spirit in me. But Paul says, this is the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That is some pretty major power. It's a lot of power living in you, giving you strength to live the way God calls you to live. There's no doubt we live in this sort of in-between time where we feel the pull of both, both ways, walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit. We're continually striving to become like Jesus. We're in the process of being transformed, even as we still feel the effects of sin. Last fall, I, I had the privilege and opportunity to visit a church in Austin, Texas called Sunrise Community Church. And the people there, they are definitely living in this in-between place, as all of us are. This church is located just a couple of blocks from a very large homeless camp. And rather than run away to a better neighborhood, Sunrise Church, they looked at the people around them through God's eyes, and they saw people who were hurting, people who were struggling with addictions and mental illness, and they, they answered God's call to stay and to care. And while we were there, my husband and I, we were able to meet many of the members of the church, and we were both struck by the complete joy that they had. They didn't have joy because their lives were perfect, that they'd escaped all this, because many of them were still on the streets. Many of them still struggled with addiction. They still felt this pull over here. But they came to Sunrise Church, and they knew, they know, that God sees them through the eyes of love. That God says, you are just right. And so they praise God with such joy, such abandon. It, it brought tears to my eyes. And the reason that they could do that is because they had experienced that love, that acceptance through the people of Sunrise Church. Sunrise Church helps them to find help with housing and rehab and just support and friendship. Sunrise walks with them and as they fall and sometimes fall again and again, Sunrise walks with them and always welcomes them. 
and gives them that message, you, you are just right. There is no condemnation. And that message is for you. Yes, we still fall short. We still fail. But there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has atoned for your sin. He took them all upon himself. He gives you his righteousness and invites you to offer yourselves your broken, crooked, sometimes ugly self. And he looks at you and says, you're just right. I think sometimes when we've been in church for most of our lives, this we kind of lose the the impact of that. And so I want to invite you, whether you're here or whether you're at home, to really lean into this truth a moment. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and quiet yourself. Sometimes when we struggle with sins or habits that drag us down, we want to hide them. But I'm going to invite you to examine yourself. Look in at the things that you struggle with. And I want you to think of that thing that you are most ashamed of. Maybe it's a sin or a habit that just keeps rearing its head despite what you want. I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. Now, I invite you to still, with your eyes closed, rest your hands on your lap, palms open. And picture that shame, that sin, that struggle in your hands. Jesus takes that from you upon himself. How amazing is that? I invite you to claim that that promise that God extends. And maybe to step a little bit out of your comfort zone, repeat after me. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's say it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let it sink in. You're free. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and says, you are just right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the freedom and the life and the righteousness that you give to us. Thank you that you love and accept us even when we fall short. It's, it's an amazing truth. And I pray that 
each person here and at home will truly experience and understand that this week. We thank you for the gift. In Jesus' name, amen.